The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. You know, what an amazing perspective that when we've been there 10,000 years, that's a long time. And to think that after being there 10,000 years, we will still be just beginning to discover the infinite worth of God and his value. And I wonder how often in those 10,000 years or all that time we get to be so close to him that we have been invited in this mortal life to love and enjoy that we'll wonder, man, I wish I would have valued him more. Right? I wish I would have treasured him more. <laughs> um, all that he made available to me, I wish I would have taken advantage of that or worshipped more passionately. when we've been there 10,000 years. It's a good perspective. Um, Have you ever noticed when you take a group picture that when then the camera or phone turns back around, everyone looks for themselves in the picture? Right, you don't don't look around all your friends thinking, oh man, you're a good looking group of people. You, You immediately find yourself to see how potentially awkward you look or if your suspicions will be confirmed that yeah I had a bad hair day uh, it might be m- more obvious if you've ever had a friend who is an extra in a movie and uh, chances are it's some obscure movie and, and they'll force you to watch the movie and then pause at an exceptionally obscure place and so you can scan the crowd and see their blurry face in it. My uncle was in a Spider-Man movie, and uh, he swore he was, though his paused, blurry face <laughs> didn't come out very clearly. But it's interesting just how, how interested we are in ourselves. And I don't think we're just interested in ourselves because we're proud of ourselves. I think we're often interested in ourselves because we are, we're highly critical of ourselves, right? I think there's this mingling of we want to be proud of ourselves, but we're still trying to, in a sense, find our place, right? Whenever we look at the scene or we look at the picture, what we're really doing on a, on a more big scale is really just trying to find where we fit. And that's a challenge when we come to the Bible, because oftentimes when we read the Bible, we make this mistake where we try to find where we fit in every page, Oftentimes, you know, you hear, like, see where Jesus is in every page of the Bible, but we often don't look for Jesus, we look for ourselves. And the story doesn't become interesting until we can locate in some phrase or some verse something that sticks out to us and says, look, there you are. And so the Bible is really challenging because of that, because every verse isn't talking about you. Every story isn't necessarily talking about you. It's a bigger story. 
And so what I want to first talk about is four, what I call four hard-to-come-by perspectives. And I think we find these four hard-to-come-by perspectives in 1 Chronicles, especially after reading 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, which maybe play to our interests a little more. The first thing is that 1 Chronicles, where we are today, is from the perspective of the priests, where Samuel and Kings were from the perspective of prophets. And, And you might think, well, I don't really relate with either one of those perspectives, but consider this, that so Samuel and Kings were highly influenced by Samuel, who was a prophet. Ezra, who was a priest, influenced the writing of First and Second Chronicles. Now the prophets, they share a lot of juicy stories. Right? Samuel and the other prophets, they talk about the good things and they talk about the bad things. And we like talking about good things, but we're especially interested in the bad things, the naughty things that the kings did. Right? When we see the kings, however naughty they were, either we are, we are just shocked by how evil they are, or we're shocked by how much like us they are. See, in, in the priests, we have a, a very different, instead of talking about the good and bad deeds of the king, the priests talk about how much the temple is cared for or neglected. And so this leads to chapters and chapters of just talking about temple worship. And, and chapters and chapters that we are tempted to skip. See, the prophets talked often about uh, the moral failings of people and these horizontal relationships. So what my brother's doing and what my sister's doing and how that failure. And, and so we kind of live in this comparison oftentimes in First and Second Samuel and the book of First and Second Kings where, where we're tempted just to compare ourselves and we kind of like that because that's what we already do. When we see pictures, right? <laughs> That's just what we do. We compare ourselves with other people. But when we come to the priests, it's not a horizontal relationship we're looking at, but we're looking at a vertical relationship, our relationship with God, which to us isn't often as interesting as our relationship with other people. And so we're challenged when we come to First and Second Chronicles because we have this view of, of what is my relationship with God? And so the first thing, if you're, if you're taking notes, the first is this comparison of the prophet versus priest view that we find in the book of First Chronicles. The second thing is realism versus idealism. So in, in our lives, we, we typically appreciate realism. We like people saying it how it is. And, and if you are a realist, I have people tell me this all the time, I'm more of a realist. And what that means typically is I can usually find the weakness. I can see, you know, when I see the sunset, I'm going to say, well, it's probably the forest fires in California. (laughs) You know those people, right? We're like, this is gorgeous. And they're like, yeah, but the world's burning. (laughs) Realism versus idealism. And and we are challenged when we get to first and second chronicles, because instead of this, real, this uh, realism, we get idealism. We don't, we don't hear as much about the bad, we don't hear anything about the bad kings, we hear about the good kings. It doesn't follow the northern kingdom of Israel that had no temple. It follows the kingdom of Judah that, that had some good kings. Not all good kings, but had some good kings. And it follows them because when you, when you follow that line, you find your way to Jesus. And so... 
So we get this sort of idealism. You get very few stories, the juicy stories that we like to fall back on in First and Second Kings and First and Second Samuel. It's a hard to come by perspective because we like to see how things are like us, not how things are maybe unlike us. We're challenged versus this present versus historical perspective. So we, we like knowing how to interpret and understand what's going on now. And the first nine chapters of the book of First Chronicles are, are uh, genealogy. So-and-so who was born to so-and-so who was born to so-and-so who was born to so And this goes on for nine chapters. It's exhausting. <laughs> but it's exhausting because I, like you, want to find ourselves in myself in every verse or every page or every chapter of the Bible. Right? And you can do some you know, theological work and be like, well, we're getting to Jesus and Jesus loves me, so this is about me too, right? And we just work so hard to turn the lens back on ourselves. The reality is is it's telling this big story. It's telling God's story, God's plan. And so we're challenged by this, this present versus historical perspective. So my question with that is, how good is your attention span? Right, just to, to lock on, to read, to, to say, even if I don't, can't pronounce these names, I don't get them. Like, I mean, it's sometimes a good habit just to read and realize how many people have gone before you. They didn't have selfies back then, but they had portraits. How many, how many people were just infatuated by their own thoughts? How many of those people in that line really got this story that we're reading right now? And, and we do get this, this treasure of reading it and understanding that God's plan is being told. God's story is being told. And the fourth hard to come by perspective that kind of is this umbrella over them all is my perspective versus God's perspective. And I would call this my insight versus God's revelation. See, the Bible is radically God-centered. It's not an empirical view. And what I mean by that, empirical just means like something that we can sense, something we see feel, something that we can hear. This isn't relying upon just an empirical view or based on human reasoning because if it's based on human reasoning, very quickly you're going to find yourself um, not understanding the Bible. And we'll see as we get into 1 Chronicles 17 what that looks like. But we're reminded this this is God's word. This is important. This is God's word to man, not just man's word about God. This is God's word about us, God's word to us, not just what we are thinking and say about him. So why, why this is so important is because if it is all what we think and what we say about God or what we see this saying about us, what it quickly becomes is God just starts looking a lot like us, right? God just starts liking the things that I like. Instead of being informed by what is he saying. And we get this in the book of First Chronicles. So we're going to dive right into this story. And, and, and you'll see um, really quickly uh, this take place. It says, after David was settled in his palace, he said to Nathan the prophet. And, and some context for this, what we know from, from um, the book of First and Second 
Samuel for 2 Kings is that Nathan the prophet was the one when David committed adultery, Nathan the prophet was the one who came and called him out. And so what we know is they're just hanging out. They're good friends. One of David's sons after adultery was named Nathan. Okay? They, they are good friends, and so they're just spending time together. Nathan said, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. Nathan replied to David, Whatever you have in mind, do it, for God is with you. Now that's a pretty amazing affirmation, right? But that night the word of God came to Nathan. Now, now do you guys get this shift from my perspective to God's perspective? This isn't just, this isn't just Nathan coming up with his own insights that he's then sharing with David. He actually hears from God, a revelation uniquely from God, and then he comes and he shares this with, uh, with David. And while we're reading this, um, check this out. He says, <clears throat> go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build a house uh, to build me a house to dwell in. Now, <clears throat> he goes and he shares this with David, and I, I want you to get how hard this no is. Right? Have you ever had someone in your life tell you no? And, and what I mean by this, like, I want you to think this isn't like, hey, let's talk about this, or like, hey, let's compare your view and my view, God just tells him straight out no. And what this feels like when someone tells you no, like I want you to imagine you come up and you're like, hey Daniel, next week and you're gonna be leading music. Uh, I have this song that I've really been loving. Will you play it next week? And I just go, no. See, I don't even know how to do that. Usually I'm like, well, let's see, just send an email to me, right? <laughs> Maybe. But in my mind, I'm like, no. <laughs> So, so this is hard because what it feels like, what a no like this feels like is, it feels like a tug of war, okay? And I want to build out the, this picture of a tug of war for you because this is important, right? What, what you do when you get into a tug of war battle is you don't choose your best friends. You choose the biggest, brawniest, most vicious people to be on your team. You need people on your team that they don't even need to move. They just stand there and then walk backwards. Okay, and, and why, why am I sharing this tug of war story? Because this is what it's like. When we come up with God or anybody else, we see what's on our side, right? Because, and this is just typically how it works. We, what's on our side, what's on the other side, because I'm gonna, I'm gonna win whatever I've decided in my heart. Because David, David's doing something good, but I imagine it could still be hard to get a no. Oftentimes, I have people come to me all the time, they're like, hey, and they have this really good-hearted idea, and if I have to tell them no, they're still hurt, right? It's just hard to lose the tug-of-war battle because I've got bigger guys on my side now. <laughs> just joking. Um, right, but, but this is what happens. God says no to David, but he gives two, what I'm going to call two anchors. So I want you to imagine these anchors being these two reasons on God's side when he, when he says no to David. And the first is, 
the have and the second is the will. What God has done and what God will do. And it's really beautiful as we read what God says to David and then how David responds to God and how they understand what God has done. And that's one anchor that when we come to God and we're like, and we're, we're ready to like figure stuff out with God and God goes, look what I have done and look what I will do. And when we see that, we just go, okay, I just want to be on your side. I don't want to be on the other tug of war side, okay? I want to be on your side because we see what God has done and what God will do. So starting in verse five here at the bottom, it says, I have not dwelt in a house from the day I was brought, I brought Israel up out of Egypt to this day. I have moved from one tent site to another, from one dwelling place to another. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their leaders whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you, here are all these I statements that God's making. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can come. They can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will subdue all your enemies. I declare to you that the Lord will build a house. Who will build a house? The Lord will build a house. When your days are over and you go to be with your ancestors, I will, here's the I will statements, right? I will raise up your offspring to succeed you. One of your own sons and I will establish his kingdom. He is one who will build a house for me. And I will establish his throne forever. I will be his father and he will be my son. And I will never take my love away from him as I took it away from your predecessor. Predecessor, I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever. His throne will be established forever. This is what God will do. So these two anchors of God, the first being what God has done being that what we see in this first anchor of God is that God has been present in the entire process. And that's what we get through nine chapters of of genealogy at the beginning. And then as we see uh, God share with David, again, just a snapshot of history, like he's replaying the, the movie of history. And instead of stopping and going, David, here, this is where you see yourself. He goes, look, this is what I have done the whole time. We see God present in the entire process. Um, in both seen and unseen ways, God is fulfilling what he has said he will do. And so what I want to ask you is when you look at the process, when you look at not just your history, but history itself is right, his story, the story of God, do you see him? Because I really think, I think we spend most of our lives just looking down, not looking up, right? Looking down, just trying to, trying to figure out, asking where we fit in every frame of the story that we don't see how God is faithfully, faithfully in every part of the process, both the pain and the joy. 
I heard this really amazing sermon once, and I've, I've shared this a, a bit recently, but I just remember the, he talked about this, this pastor talked about the concept of evidences of grace. When we, when we look around, and he shared a story of walking in his church, and, and as he was just worshiping, looking around, and, and knowing the challenges people are facing, and going, man, I know, I know so-and-so, they just struggle, they've been struggling with cancer, and I just see them raising their hands and praising God. I just see the evidences of grace in that. Right? We're looking back on, on pains we have experienced and, and maybe while we're in it and we just don't see anything, we can look back and just see the evidences of grace, the evidences of what God was doing while maybe we were so very unaware of it. Whether the process or the story you went through was painful or happy or scary or exciting, great has been the faithfulness of God to you. And, and I want you maybe while you're writing your notes now or as you're thinking later, um, take time to just think of history. Think of your story also and look for the evidences of grace in it and turn those into worship and we'll see how David does that in a minute. The second is the will of God. What will God do? Because God just doesn't say, look at how I've been faithful, look at how I've been present. But God makes promises that he He stakes himself upon saying I the Lord say this and so we can we can see the promises of God and we can see if he has fulfilled those and we can trust him to fulfill what he has do you know the promises of God and do you build your life upon them the promises that David gives and and there's several here but the word forever shows up multiple times you kind of see this I will establish his throne forever I will be his father and he'll be my son I will never take his my love away from him as I did from his predecessor I will set him over my house and my kingdom forever his throne will be established forever right you've heard about making a five-year plan how many of us actually do that very few How many of us keep that plan who actually set the five-year plan? Very few. But God has made a forever plan and he's revealed. He's not like, just take my word for it. No, like God has told us what his plan is and we have seen, this is the amazing thing we hear in the New Testament. He says, we have his promise made sure because we've seen it fulfilled in Jesus. We've seen the son whose love will not be taken away. We've seen Jesus. And so we've seen God's forever plan. We've seen his forever king. We've seen the prince of peace who now sits on the throne, who is the the mediator for us. We've seen his forever plan. We've seen not just what he has done, but what he he will do. And so the the, cool thing is David not even seeing what we've seen. And, And it says this multiple times in the New Testament. It's like they haven't seen what we've seen. But it seems like still, even though we've seen that Jesus has come, it's still so hard for us to pull back and stop looking for where we fit. But just finding God. Right? Okay, and when I even just said that right now, you know what my heart did? When I just said, see where I fit, honestly, then that moment I was like, where do I fit? And I was like, finding God. I was like, yeah! That's what I want to do. But I spend so much time just so narrowly focused on where I fit, where I fit, where I fit. And God's going, find me. Join what I'm doing. And, and so this is how David starts as he hears what Nathan has to say. He says, starting here in verse 6, Then King, uh, King David went in and sat before the Lord. 
And he said, who am I, Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if there were not enough in your sight, my God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You, Lord, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. What more can David say to you for honoring your servant? For you know your servant, Lord, for the sake of your servant and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made known all these great promises. And think about what, what this means when he says, for you know your servant. That means, David, and I don't know chronologically if this is before or after the affair with Bathsheba. But he says, you know your servant. So either way, this is astounding. David's going, you know the sin I've done. You know the sin I will do. You know who I am. But you've still treated me as the most exalted of people. You've still handed out your promise to me. Verse 20, it says, There is no one like you, Lord, and there is no God but you, as we have heard with our own ears. And who is like your people, Israel, the one nation on earth whose God went out to redeem a people for himself and to make a name for himself and to perform great and awesome wonders by driving out nations from before your people whom you redeemed from Egypt. You made your people, Israel, your very own forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. And now, Lord, let the promise Look at all these times he says promise. This is really beautiful. And now, Lord, let the promise you have made concerning your servant and his house be established forever. Do as you promise so that it will be established and that your name will be great forever. Then people will say the Lord Almighty, the God over Israel, is Israel's God and the house of your servant David will be established before you. You, my God, have revealed to your servant that you will build a house for him so your servant has found courage to pray. You, Lord, are God. You have promised these good things to your servant. Now you have been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight for you, Lord, have blessed it and it will be blessed forever. So, so two things really quick. The first is how we are helped Two things, how we're helped by these anchors, the anchor of what God has done and the anchor of what God will do. And the first thing is simply this, that we find our present identity, we find our present identity when we look at what God has done and what God will do. So where do we fit, right? Because we are interested about that and that is important. Where we fit is we fit in this promise and this plan of God. The big idea for today, which is this question of where do I fit? Because whether or not I answer that, what I do know is that you're going to leave and still look for yourself in pictures. Right? <laughs> it's not like you're going to be cured. Right? <laughs> where we fit is that I am a part of the promises of God. I am a part of the promises of God. And you are. I love in, in Ephesians 2.10, it says, you are God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he ordained before the world began. Right? You are God's masterpiece. That you aren't an afterthought. You aren't, you aren't just like, God wasn't surprised when you came along, when God was creating his plan and establishing his pro promises. You are a part of that. And, and I think that's, that's where David just says, and who am I? Like, who am I? Well, who David is wasn't just decided by David himself, and that's what David got. We have this idea in our culture that, that our identity is, is up to our plan or how we feel 
Right? Our identity is fluid in some way that we are, we're not anchored in who God says we are. But, but David's discovery here was David knew himself. He, after he said, who I am, he's like, God, you know me, and yet you're still making these promises? And this is really, really, really important. Why? Because we want to be people who, who don't keep seeing where we fit and trying to force our way in, but seeing that a way has been made for us because, because God has made promises to you and invited you into that. It's, it's completely behind you, before you, with you now. God is offering himself for you to find out who you are. And this is, this is where I'm going, I want to go back to the hard-to-come-by perspectives. The hard-to-come-by perspectives is, is not, uh, is, is to compare the idea that I can figure everything out versus the idea of revelation where God tells you truthful things and you can trust him. And, and I get confronted with that too. I spend a lot of my day, I just think all the time. I have a hard time going to bed sometimes because I'm thinking. I don't know if any of you guys are like that, but you're just like thinking all the time. And that's hard because sometimes I think I can just figure everything out. And that's additionally frustrating because I can't. But, but there are these truths in the scripture that God's revealed to us that we can trust and take him at his word and then go and live in those promises. And that's what's being offered here. And that's what David gets when he says, and who am I? Well, who I am is because what you have said, God, who I am. That's an incredible promise. You stop trying to just fit in each picture, but you fit in God's picture, and he's called you by name. The second thing is this, not just this present identity, but there's eternal security in this. Eternal security. I'm going to say this again, eternal security. I believe this. Not just momentary security. And you, see, you hear this in what David's saying. He's like, I'm not going to surprise God with who I have been or who I will be when I come to him and trust his promises. When I trust him, I believe that I'm eternally secure in him. Because it's not who I say I am and who I bring to God, but who God has said, this is who you are. And that's what I trust. So eternal security in him, and that's what we see in his forever promises. Now you've been pleased to bless the house of your servant that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, Lord, have blessed it, and it will be blessed forever. Do you guys get that? Forever. When we've been there 10,000 years, I think we're just, it's just going to be dawning on us, like, I think this is going to keep happening. <laughs> right? Like, I think this is real. Like, I, and I wonder what that will look like in our hearts when we, when we really realize how trustworthy God is because I know, I know all of us are, are like still figuring out, I am still figuring out how trustworthy God is. These forever promises of God. And I wonder what that will feel like when we are there forever with him and we realize that we really were always eternally secure that we didn't have anything to fear. Because when he says, you're mine, he means that. And when he says, these promises are for you, he meant that too. So what I would invite you to now uh, is to, before my mic goes crazy, is to, is to ask yourself, do I see God in my story and history? Do I see God in 
history and in my story, do I see those evidences of grace? And it could just be that you went to sleep one night and you woke up the next morning and you realizes you realize that his mercies are new for that day. So good. And if you heard his promises and those promises are for you, you're included in those promises. And those are not momentary promises, but those are eternal promises. And so you can live like eternal people. So pray with me and we'll worship God together.